Good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. I believe the Holy Spirit has an important message for us this morning from these verses. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this hour that the power of the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us, upon you, and would open your heart and mind to to perhaps maybe a whole a whole new way of approaching life from this passage. Our passage this morning is about hope. Adolf Sapphire, Hebrew commentator, said, The object of this chapter is to lift these believers out of their apathy and gloom and to raise them to the sunny height of faith and hope. It's what we need, isn't it? Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It is confident expectation of good. It is spiritual optimism rooted in all that God has promised us. There's an old hymn that says, We have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Christian hope reaches through the end of the day today. It reaches through next week, through next year. reaches through all of life. It reaches clear into eternity. The book of Proverbs says that the godly woman smiles at the future. I think that's a great definition of hope. Hope is an outlook on life that really does affect you. Hope is an outlook on life that really affects how you think, how you feel. It even affects how you look. The godly woman in Proverbs smiles at the future. It affects you. And it's an outlook on life that others can tell if you have or not. Peter said we're supposed to have so much hope that people come up to us and ask us, wow, how do you have so much hope? Where'd you get that? Our hope is based in Jesus and all we have through him. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I mean, what a future we have to look forward to. Because of our union with Christ, all that is ahead of us forever is the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness. Paul said, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We anticipate our future glorious experience in the presence of God and we rejoice now under the power and the influence of those things we hope for. This hope-producing effect of the good news is, is so important. It's so important that it, that it actually be a part of your life. Life can be brutal at times. Things can look very, very dark in this world. We can go through some really 
tough things. And then there's just the mundane existence of life. There's rainy days and Mondays. There's, there's just a lot of tough things that we go through in this world. For some people, things look so dark, they choose to end their own lives. I read recently that suicide is the second leading cause of death in those ages 15 to 34. And I don't know if any of you or many of you are tuned into what's going on in the greater Christian world, but just recently a pastor at a megachurch committed suicide. He left behind a wife and two young boys. And even though he had great success in ministry, in his mind, he was living with overwhelming despair. As tragic as suicide is, an even worse result of losing hope is to turn away from Christ in hopelessness and in unbelief and to not go on to inherit the promises of God. And this is the author's concern all throughout the book of Hebrews. Without hope, we become spiritually apathetic. Without hope, we become spiritually lethargic, dull of hearing, as Hebrews says. Life becomes drudgery. Even the Christian life becomes drudgery without hope. So the author of Hebrews pleads with us, he exhorts us to have the full assurance of hope until the end. It's, it's not a hope that we just have for a moment. It's not a hope that we have just for a day. It's, it's a persevering hope. It's a hope that he wants us to hold fast to. It's a hope that he wants to abound in our hearts, clear all the way to the end. And he says, he wants us to have that so that you may not grow sluggish. So that you may not grow spiritually apathetic. So that you may not grow spiritually dull. We are to have hope, or he wants us to have this hope. You and I must do everything we can to nourish our hearts on the hope of the gospel message. We must do everything we can every day to nourish our hearts on the hope that we have in God and in Jesus Christ, our high high priest. Playing around with hopelessness and hopeless thoughts is very dangerous. Paul prayed that we would have a super abundance of hope, or at least that's the way I would describe what he prayed for in Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer for the Romans, people he was writing to, God's heart for you is that you would abound in hope. Not just a little hope, not just have barely enough hope to get by, but that you would overflow with hope, that you would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is a God of hope. When you believe God, as this verse says, when you, put your, when you trust God, it says, may, may, God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope. When you believe God, it opens the door of your heart to hope. It's through believing God, through really believing God, through really trusting God, that hope is able to build in your heart to the point 
where it, it just abounds, where it, where it overflows. Hope like this is an extremely precious possession. It fuels our life. It, it puts a bounce in our step, a song in our heart. And I just want to tell you this morning, if, if, if you're here and you're already just abounding in hope, you are really well off. I mean, you're better off than the most successful, wealthy people who seem to have everything. If you've got hope, you have got a lot. But if you lack this quality, I urge you this morning to pursue it with all earnestness. Uh, I urge you to listen seriously. I urge you to make this a very serious matter that you would pursue this full assurance of hope with all earnestness. And, I, and, and that, you would, that, that you would ask God to awaken this in you, to stir this up in you, perhaps more than you've ever experienced it before. Most of you know that I like to read, and I, I read pretty widely, and I'm reading a book right now called The Greatest Missions of the Israeli Secret Service, the Mossad. And there's a story in there about, a true story in there about an Israeli army officer, Yehuda Tagger, who went to Baghdad to organize some protection for the Jews in Iraq. And this was, I believe, in the 1980s. His cover was blown. He was arrested and sentenced to death. He was drugged from his cell in the middle of the night to be hanged. Uh, They had a rope around his neck. His feet was over a trap door. But at the last second, they, they let him live. They had just done that to frighten him and try to get more information from him. His sentence was commuted to life in prison, and he was, he was left to rot in a dark, gloomy cell in an Iraqi prison. Nine years later, uh, the Israelis struck a deal with a new Iraqi prime minister, and he was released. And I'm quoting from the book here. They placed him on a plane to Beirut, then a flight to Cyprus, and finally he landed at home in Israel. At the airport, his friends and colleagues were waiting. They expected to meet a broken man, a human wreck. But the man who descended from the plane was the same vigorous, extroverted, smiling fellow they had last seen more than nine years ago. How did you make it, they asked. How did you hang on to your optimism? Yehuda said simply, I knew you would get me out of here. That's, that's the power of hope. I mean, that's, that's just a human hope. That doesn't even have the power of the gospel behind it. That doesn't, have, doesn't even have the power of hope in God behind it. But it shows the, the, the power of hope in a human life. We hang on to our optimism because we know God will get us out of here. We know we're going to get home safely. We know that glory is ahead of us. We know that the blessing of God is upon us now and forever. And hope is what kept Yehuda Tagger from being a broken man, a human wreck. And hope is what keeps us from gloom and apathy and despair and a broken faith. And the, the only way to live life. The only way to live the Christian life to the full is with hearts full of hope, with this full assurance of hope. Not not a little hope, 
but full assurance of hope. Hope overflowing, hope abounding, as Paul prayed for us. Now, in this passage, one of my many favorite verses in the Bible <laughs> talks about hope being an anchor of our soul. Verse 19, we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I beg you to become familiar with that verse and meditate on it and picture that in your mind and hold on to that message from the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm going to quote from Adolph Sapphire. He said, Your soul is like a ship tossed to and fro by the tumultuous waves of the sea, exposed to temptations of Satan, the afflictions and sufferings of this present life, the difficulties and dangers of our earthly course. We are exposed to doubts within and storms without, but we have an anchor, hope. And notice where this hope is anchored. Verse 19, we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And again, I'm going to quote Adolf Sapphire. And this anchor is fixed not in the depth below, not in the sea. Our anchor is not not fixed in the depth below, but in the height above, even in the heavenly sanctuary, the everlasting and immovable throne of God. what, What a powerful word picture. We have an anchor that doesn't go down, it, it goes up. And our anchor is anchored to the very throne of God, where Jesus is, where he has gone as a forerunner before us. Our hope is anchored in God, in Jesus, where, where Jesus is in the immediate presence of God. Our hope is not produced by wishful thinking. Uh, it's, our hope is not produced by... Uh, wishing upon a star, uh, holding on to our dreams, or merely positive thinking. Although hope does manifest in us the most beautiful and outrageous positive thinking, it is not mere positive thinking. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, who is fully God, but who is also fully human, just like us, and who is in the immediate presence of the Father. He has gone behind the curtain. That's, a, that's a, an expression stating that he has gone into the immediate presence of God. And he is there for us on our behalf before the throne of God. And through him, through him we have, and I can only tell you a little bit of what we have in him, but we have forgiveness for our sins. We have salvation for our souls. Through him we receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need presently. In him we have the hope of resurrection from the dead. Your life will not end at death any more than his life ended at death. We will reign with him forever. We will experience complete joy, perfect love, and unimaginable glory with him forever in the immediate presence of the Father. That's our hope. 
Our hope is in Him for all that we need today and all that we will ever need. Our hope, it's a, it's a very present hope. It's not merely looking all the way out into eternity. We have so much in Him that we hope in today. We get present help, present joy, present strength from Him through hope in Him. But it's a hope that will endure the passing of time. And our hope in Him is firm and secure. It's like an anchor to our soul. This hope brings stability to our mind and to our emotions and to our entire life. Our hope is firm and secure because it is based on God's promise and His oath. And that may sound like something a little bit strange to to some of us. But we're going to look, look into, into that. And really there's tremendous beauty in this statement in Hebrews that our hope is based on God's promise and his oath. Verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And the full quote, that's a quote taken from Genesis 22.16, and the full quote from Genesis is, God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed. And the point from, from Hebrews is that God made a promise and he also said, By myself I have sworn. He, made a, he just made a, a, a promise, but he also backed it up with, with an oath or a vow and said, I've also sworn this. I've not, not only just said it, but I've sworn it. Verse 16 in the contemporary English version, I think, help, helps explain this. It says, when anyone wants to settle an argument, they make a vow by using the name of someone or something greater than themselves. That's that's verse 16. Which really goes back to explain verse 13, which says, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. In other words, there's no higher authority, there's no one more reliable that God can go to to back up his promise, so he vows using his own name. And verse 17 and 18 explains God's reason for doing this. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, who were the heirs of the promise? That's, That's us. That's going to include you and me. God wanted to show us something more convincingly. He wanted to show us the unchangeable character of his purpose So he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, you and I, we who have fled for refuge in Christ, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Simply saying we have both God's statement And we have his personal vow. The vow isn't really needed because God cannot lie. So we've got 
two things or two ways that God has assured us and he can't lie in either one of them. And he wanted to show us, as it says, I love that, in the most convincing way. He wanted to show us in the most convincing way possible that he will bless us forever in Jesus. He wanted to assure us that that promise is unchangeable. He wanted to show the unchangeable character of his purpose. God's purpose is to bless you forever, forever and ever in eternity in Jesus. And he, that will never change. He, that's, that's the unchangeable purpose of God. And so really the reason that God uh, uses a, a promise to us and that he that he swears and he says, surely I've sworn I will do this, is simply because God is passionate about us having hope. He is passionate about you having all the assurance you could possibly need that he is for you and that he will bless you and that he has glorious and good and great things out in front of you and that through all eternity... He is going to show you the immeasurable riches of his kindness in goodness through Christ. But what did God promise and swear by an oath? Or what is, what is our, our hope? Well, it's the same hope that he gave to Abraham. Surely I will bless you. And there's more detail to it. But that really is the promise. God says to you, Brian, I will bless you. God says to you, Tom, I will bless you. And actually, that's really not what he says. He says, Brian, surely I will bless you. Cindy, surely I will bless you. Nancy, surely, certainly, confidently, absolutely, no question about it, I will bless you. And of course, that blessing is not only for Abraham, but for us too. And this promise of blessing, if we really understand the scripture, this this promise of blessing that God spoke to Abraham, I mean, it's it's a a powerful thing. It's It's a blessing that flows all the way down through history, all the way down through Jesus, all the way down to those of us who believe in Jesus. That his the blessing of the Lord that he's talking about here, when when God says, surely I will bless you, he's talking about a blessing so vast and so comprehensive that it has continued on through thousands of years to Abraham's descendants. It has continued to countless multitudes of people in all nations through Jesus Christ, who is the seed and descendant of Abraham. And that's exactly what the Bible says in several different places, but it says it in Galatians 3.14. He, God, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. God saved you so that you might receive, inherit, enjoy this vast, this mighty, this tidal wave of blessing that he promised to come through Abraham. And if you are united to Jesus, the scriptures tells us us very plainly that you are are in this tidal wave of unstoppable blessing 
flowing out of God's promise to Abraham. We will be, you will be, in Jesus, in Christ, you will be abundantly and outrageously blessed forever. Uh, John Piper, on this passage, said basically the same thing, but I'm going to repeat it for you. He said, the promise is that we will be blessed. I will surely bless you. And he means ultimate blessing forever and ever with God in eternity. Forgiven, accepted, purified, glorified, capable of unspeakable joy, triumphant over all our enemies, sin and guilt and shame and death and hell and Satan. This is God's promise to us. This glorious, unshakable blessing of God is upon us who hold fast to Christ. Is there, is there a better reason to hold fast to Jesus? This is the blessing that comes our way through Jesus and through holding fast. And we can live, we, we actually can live, dear people, we actually can live in a state of full assurance of this hope. That's what we're, that's what we're called to. That's what this passage is, is exhorting us to. It's appealing to us to live in the hope of this. This is our hope, and yet we, we must choose to either live in, fir- in full assurance of hope or to allow our hope to be weak and wavering. Verse 11 says, We desire each one of you. I love that. The author of Hebrews he says, I'm concerned about every single one of you. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. We're to be earnest about having hope. Um, I think Josh said last week, that he quoted C.S. Lewis, joy is the serious business of heaven. You know, make, make it, make it, Make it your serious business to have joy. Well, make it your serious business to have hope. We are to be deadly serious about having full hope now. Right now, this morning and tomorrow and this next week, all the way to the end, the author of Hebrews says. And so we must consciously and earnestly resolve to live in hope. I mean, it will, it will not happen unless you come approach this with this earnestness that the, that the author of Hebrews tells us that he wants us to have. We, w- we, will, we, will, we, we will not just automatically live in this overflowing hope. So we must consciously and earnestly resolve to live in hope today and tomorrow all the way. And we want that for each one of you. I want that for each one of you. And I, I speak as uh, for, for the, leaders, the leaders, overseers of our church. We want that for each one of you. Just like the author of Hebrews says, we, we desire for each one of you to have this full assurance of hope. Uh, we want not one person here 
Not one person that comes to real life church. Not one person that is a part of this church family to be living without hope. To be living without this full assurance of hope. Verse 18 says, God has given us strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So, I've done the best that I can do, and I'm not saying it's a great job, but I've done the best that I can do to explain, to lay out before you this hope of blessing that we have in Christ. God's given us an an encouragement by, by saying, I've promised this to you, surely, absolutely, certainly, without doubt, I'm going to bless you. My blessing is upon you now and forever. But we have a response to make. He says that God has given us great encouragement or strong encouragement for us to hold fast to that hope that is set before us. So our response to God's encouragement is to grasp onto the hope that is set before us, to, to hold onto it tightly, to, to hold fast, to, to grasp onto it as tightly as, as we can, to, to, to hold onto it with all your might, the hope that we have in God. You know, maybe today, maybe maybe even this morning, that if your thoughts, the things going on in your heart were revealed or even made known to you, you yourself or to others, uh, maybe maybe this morning you're holding tightly on to your to your home or your family or your money or your job or your kids or your life, your health, your personal plans and dreams. Uh, Maybe you're holding on tightly to your problems. God wants us to loosen your anxious grip on those things and hold fast to the hope that is set before you in Jesus. And we do this by consciously putting our mind and thoughts on Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Run, run the race, live your life, by fixing your eyes on Jesus. So, we gain, we gain this full assurance of hope by putting our mind and our thoughts on Jesus. Who he is, what he has done for us, and all that we have in him. I don't think you can do that without daily taking time in the, in the morning or throughout the day or it's at some time consciously turning to him, consciously looking to him, consciously bowing before him in love and adoration and appreciation, consciously rejoicing in him, consciously worshiping him, telling him that you love him, telling him that you trust him, thanking him for all that he has obtained for you in his life, death, and resurrection. And looking to him daily, for all that you need. Our, our, our mind is the door of our soul through which we connect with Jesus. I mean, if your thoughts are not on Jesus, you're not going to experience Jesus. Paul said, set your mind on things above where Christ is. And honestly, if your mind, if your mind doesn't go there, the experience of your heart's not going to go there either. If your mind doesn't go there, this full assurance of hope is not going to be 
welling up within you. You must set your mind on him to experience him. And if you're, if you're, if you're not consciously doing that, uh, two things. One, I would, I would warn you in the kindest way possible that you're probably drifting through life and probably not living at the level of hope that you should. And secondly, I would simply encourage you to begin doing that. Start doing that. Make, make a conscious decision that, that the direction of your mind and thoughts, morning, noon, and night, during the night, in the morning, is that you're going to look to Jesus. You're going to look to Jesus, your hope and your salvation. Because much, not all, I mean, we experience we experience a lot right here and now. I mean, I mean, I, I love walking in the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the kingdom of God, and we enjoy all that right now. But because much of the glory and blessing that God has promised is still out in front of us, it call this calls for patience in our hope, which this passage addresses. Verse twelve calls us to be imitators through of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we hold fast to our hope. We, we are to live in a state of hope. We're to, we're actually, we are actually to live in a state of a full assurance of hope right now. But we do that through present suffering. And we do that through disappointments. And we hold fast to that over time, we hold fast today and tomorrow and next week and through next year. So it, that's why I say it requires faith and patience to inherit the promises of, of God. So we hope while we wait and we hope while things don't always look that good. And so this, this hope is, is it's an enduring hope. It's, it's a full assurance of hope but it's a hope that, that endures through time and through trouble. And we cannot hold fast to our hope and live in, in any kind of way in this fullness of hope that we're to have, this full assurance of hope. We cannot, we cannot hold fast to our hope through, through trials and through the years with a spiritually uh, careless or lazy approach to life. It takes real spiritual intensity to hold on to your hope. It takes, as Hebrews says, it takes faith and patient endurance. So again, if you want to live in hope, and I hope you do, I encourage you, I exhort you, I plead with you, I beg of you to make a resolute decision to do so and to trust God daily for the power of His Spirit to energize your hope. We are given the example of Abraham for our encouragement in this endurance. Verse 15 says, having waited patiently, he obtained the promise. Can't go, don't take, or can't take time this morning to go into the whole story of Abraham and the promise of the supernatural birth of Isaac and everything. But I'll just say this, the promise of a son, because I think this is the point of the passage, the promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah came many years later than Abraham or Sarah expected it would be. But it did happen. 
The supernatural birth of of Isaac did happen. And in the same day, someday we will experience all that God has promised us. It will happen. And like Abraham, we wait with, uh, with patience. There might be some here this morning, there might be one person, maybe a few, who actually think, well, that all sounds pretty good for people who have lots of problems, but I'm doing pretty good. I've got my plans, I've got my family, opportunities are opening up for me at work, Um, I'm an optimist by nature, Uh, life is good. Well, the problem is that hopes based on those things won't hold up in the time of trouble. Optimism based on those things will not hold up in what what uh, Paul calls in Ephesians 6 the, the, the day of evil or the evil day. When the day of evil comes, hope based on those kind of things you will find to be very, very flimsy. Those hopes won't sustain you when your body is weak or broken or when your friends desert you or when fr- family relationships are strained or broken or when the feel, wheels come off of your plans or if real persecution would come upon the church would come upon believers. Optimism that is based on anything other than Jesus won't get you through the valley of the shadow of death. It won't get you through the day of judgment or on into the ages to come. We need a hope that will generate optimism, optimism and joy in our hearts through anything that comes our way forever. And we have that only in Jesus. But we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. A a hope that enters the very throne of God. A hope that enters the very dwelling place of God. So I want to close by asking you this morning, do do you have this kind of hope? Do you live, do you actually live in this kind of full assurance of hope? Do you do you have a hope that is just kind of reaching as far as as tomorrow or maybe your next vacation or the weekend or a hope that only reaches to uh, a better job or some, or do you have a hope that reaches all the way to God? Are you trying to build your optimism on lesser things? The message of of this passage is hope in God. Hope in God. Let your hope go all the way to the throne of God where Jesus is and live with this sure and steadfast hope. So this message is a a call to... uh, actually live in hope for each for each and every one of us and i know some people here going through some really tough things so i don't say that lightly i don't say this flippantly i don't say hey just put a smile on your face but we're but we're called to live in this in this full assurance of hope through through good times through hard times through it all do you really want to start living in this full assurance of hope